Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. By the way, who else, we called it, by the way, yesterday. Nobody else saw it coming. We predicted that Taylor Swift would be the time person of the year. Nobody else predicted that. So bravo to us. We saw that coming. Look at that. Taylor Swift. And you know what? Deserves it. Deserves it. 100% yes, deserves it. So bravo. Please rise up. Finally getting the recognition Mm -hmm. she deserves. Taylor Swift. And we're just swimming in her wake. Yeah, and I just read on Instagram, she hates wrapping paper. <laughs> right. Okay, that's not true. I lied. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so many headlines. So little time. Adam and Jordana now tackle some of the other big stories making news in this fast break segment. This is Quick Takes. Well, as you just heard in Steve's news, the twins have put on sale tickets for all events coming up this next year. So you can buy your Twins tickets. But fans of the Twins have another opportunity to support the team. They announced yesterday that they're out with a new Minnesota Twins territory license plate that will be available on January 1st. Adam, I... I think I remember correctly that you have a specialty license plate, like a I've got like the hunting uh, one or whatever it is. The DNR I had one. the fishing one. Now I've got the loon. Okay, so what do you think? Will you switch next to the Minnesota Twins? Territory? I don't think so. I um, I do like getting. I do like the fact that we have a variety. But I thought too, didn't the legislature pass the black license plate this year? Other states have. You can just get a black license plate. Like I kind of like that. So do I. And actually, I saw, I've seen them around, but I finally saw one on a parked car, so I was able to see. Uh, It's a first responder Mm. license plate that honors like first responders as a black one, but I think the legislature did pass a black license plate option. So I do like the fact that you can, I think license plates should be, Mm -hmm. you know, and if they can raise some money for certain causes. Uh, yeah. I'm all for it, but yeah, if I if I had to pick, like, let's say, okay, Adam, you have to get one of the sports teams uh, license plates from one of the sports teams, mm-hmm. it would be the Twins license sure. plate. Yeah. yeah, and I'm not just saying that because they're on our station. Yeah, Adam, remind me, is you're the license plate that says Ass Man? <laughs> yes, proctologist. Well, I, I got it from a proctologist. <laughs> <laughs> Still one of the great F- Seinfeld episodes. One of the best hey, Seinfeld ass man. episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Panera Bread is being sued after another customer is said to have died after consuming the chain's caffeinated lemonade. It's a, this time, a 46-year-old man who was loyal to Panera started regularly ordering the charged lemonade back in September, according to the lawsuit that's being filed after his death. According to Panera's website, the charged lemonade beverage comes with about 150 milligrams of caffeine, which is about the amount that's in a normal cup of coffee, uh, double the amount, uh, ounce for ounce, uh, that is in uh, uh, like a Mountain Dew or a beverage like that. Jordana, uh, what's your take on this 
lawsuit after consuming the caffeinated lemonade at Panera. What are you doing, Panera? Like, one woman already died. How are you still serving this charged lemonade? Can you be making that much money off of the silly charged lemonade that you still have to have it in your drink? To, what, what are those things called? Like the, the fountain? Yeah, Cup? soda fountain? Oh, yeah. No, soda Cup. <laughs> fountain. Because you go, you go fill up your own, right? Yeah. Like at Panera, you, you go refill, and you fill yeah. it. Right. So, again, humans cannot police themselves. We're idiots. Panera, you already had one girl die from this, right? Or did she have a heart attack? Did, did she die, David? Or did she? Have, yeah, this is the second attack? death that's being blamed. This is on the it. second, yeah. So, Panera, stop it! Just don't serve this. It, it, this is not an economically sound decision. You you open yourself up to a lawsuit. Go serve regular lemonade. Call Minute Maid. They make lemonade too. Be done with this and. Also, not really a great financial decision because, unfortunately, this man was a loyal customer and he's not anymore because he's dead. So Wrong, wrong, wrong. You are wrong. I mean, this is, first of all, this doesn't have more caffeine than a cup of coffee. So this is just a tragic coincidence. And the fact that two people died from the same drink, I don't think this drink is any more dangerous than... and there's hundreds really? of places. Are people dropping dead from a Diet Coke? No, but there's hundreds of places where you can go get, like, unlimited coffee. You can go get right. as many coffee drinks as you want, and that's got more caffeine. That's got way more caffeine ounce per ounce than this lemonade does. And I think there's probably yep. been people with heart conditions who probably dropped dead, and we don't hear anything about it just because, oh, well, he's got a heart condition, shouldn't have had that coffee. The fact that we're talking about Panera Bread and a charged lemonade... That's why it's a it's a it's a thing. But I mean, should there be a sticker on the lemonade saying, "Hey, this is full of caffeine"? So if you've got a heart condition, yeah. probably not the best idea to drink it. But I don't think this is just like a purely fine, healthy guy going in having a cup of lemonade and then dropping dead. Well, there's a lawsuit for a reason. If I'm Panera Bread and somebody drops there's a lawsuit dead, for a reason because Panera Bread has tons of yes. money and they want to get the money from them. Here's the deal: if if I make tea. And somebody dropped dead from my tea, and I make other things. You know, at Panera, it's not like they only serve charged lemonade. There's lots of other options. I mean, Panera. Right. This so is if an you've got a decision. if you've got a heart condition, choose another option. Don't drink oh charged lemonade. People are so stupid. People are dumb. No, that's on the people. And you then. guys, you also don't hear people dropping dead outside of Starbucks because they drank too much coffee or they got a free refill at the essay. For some reason, two people are dead after drinking charged lemonade. I'm not even saying pull it off the market. Charged lemonade, if that you want that reputation that people are going to drop dead, go nuts. This is America. You, If you're legally allowed to sell it, you can. But if you're Panera, why in the world would you keep that in your soda fountain? You don't want the liability. It's just a bad business decision. And wrapping paper. Fair enough. You want to move on? She's so wrong, but we can move on. I'm so wrong. Yes. I get to be wrong. This is America. I get to be wrong. Um, On October... And you get to have a radio show to say... I know. On a daily basis, prove that you're wrong. (laughs) On October 27th, uh, the Vikings lost to the Bears in embarrassing fashion, and it was a bad day in Minnesota sports. However, since that date... The Minnesota Wild are four and zero, outscoring their opponents yep. eighteen to five. Uh, oh, look, the Wolves are three and zero and jumped best, into the number best one record spot in the NBA. In the NBA, 
And uh, the Vikings are undefeated because they haven't played in that time because they had an off day. It's been quite <laughs> so a the Gophers. good yeah. run. Yeah, so are the Gophers who got select- selected to a bowl game. Uh, it's been a good couple of weeks for Minnesota sports uh, with the Vikings not playing. Adam, uh, are you excited about any of those teams moving forward? Or who are you most excited about? Um, Wolves. I think this is the best Wolves team uh, mm-hmm. since the team that reached the conference finals. Um, so they're number one. Wild, you know, I was saying, okay, you know, they fire the coach. That usually triggers uh, some winning. But, boy, they're scoring a lot of goals. It's a different team all of a sudden, even though it's the same team. But somehow firing a coach gets people fired up, and look, they could play their way into a, a, a solid playoff spot and do some damage in the playoffs. But uh, yeah, and the Vikings, though, I'm, I, if you're a Viking fan, I think you're they're trending the wrong way. They've got quarterback controversy now. The Packers are tied, and they've got some difficult games coming up. So yeah, it's I'm I'm bullish on the Wolves. I, I have no thoughts okay. on that. <laughs> <laughs> Zero thoughts on that. And they uh, serve charged lemonade at their games. Yeah, so yeah they do. People are going to drop dead. Jor, I bet you'll have no thoughts on this one either because your representative, Ilhan Omar, was one of oh, 14 boy. House members who yesterday um, voted against a GOP resolution to condemn anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. That's your representative, Jordana Green. Your thoughts. My thoughts? Oh, my God. It's not hard to condemn anti-Semitism. And I don't understand why these representatives would vote against it. It, And Rashida Tlaib tweeted out that opposing the policies of government of Israel and Netanyahu's extremism is not anti-Semitism. No, it's not. In fact, I oppose many of Netanyahu's policies. But that's not what this resolution was. The resolution has five things that are written in it. It strongly condemns and denounces instances of anti-Semitism occurring in the United States globally and globally. It reaffirms and reiterates its strong support for the Jewish community at home and abroad. It calls for elected officials and world leaders to condemn uh, and fight all forms of domestic and global anti-Semitism. It clearly and firmly states that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism and rejects all forms of terror, hate and discrimination and harassment of members of the Jewish community. It doesn't even say the word Israel in there. So Rashida Tlaib, you are gaslighting the people who follow you and the rest of America and anybody who reads your tweet. This resolution said it, what it said, it condemns anti-Semitism. It has nothing to do with Israel. And Ilhan, who I Instagrammed at yesterday, and Rashida, you are on the wrong side of history if you cannot condemn hate. You are wrong. I want to talk more about this. David, thank you for right, I, bringing this because up. Because there, there were a bunch of Democrats who didn't vote against it, but voted present. So That was wrong, too. They okay. are on the wrong side of of history, and these are weak-minded, feeble, both sidesing, not being able to take a stand against hate. Friends, people are showing you who they are. Believe them. This is worse on. Well, I'm not even going to say worse on college campuses because college campuses don't make policy. These people actually make policy. What they say does sometimes matter. 
what's going on in college campuses is worse. And in fact, there was a congressional hearing about anti-Semitism on college campuses. I am going to address that. If you think I'm fired up about this, it's going to get a whole lot worse in the next segment. Yesterday, the presidents of the University of Pennsylvania, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, and Harvard testified on Capitol Hill before the House Education Committee because the House Education Committee was asking them about the rise of anti-Semitism on their campuses. They were questioned by lawmakers about what is allowed and not allowed to be said in the realm of free speech on their campuses. Here is Representative Elise Stefanik. She is a Republican from New York questioning some of the university presidents. At MIT, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment? Yes or no? If targeted at individuals not making public statements. Yes or no? Calling for the genocide of Jews does have, not constitute bullying and harassment? I have not heard calling for the genocide for Jews on our campus. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants, which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context, when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people. So those would not be according to the MIT's code of conduct or rules? That would be um, investigated as harassment, if pervasive and severe. I urge you to go and listen. It's about a three-minute piece uh, that you can find anywhere on social media where you can hear the presidents of Harvard and MIT and Penn not denounce calling for the genocide of Jews on their campus as hate speech. You even heard the president of MIT said, oh, well, when it calls for one person, you have to say the name of the person that it calls for saying kill all the Jews is not enough to be hate speech. For me, that is an incitement to violence. It would mean kill all the Jews or calling for an intifada, which is an uprising against the Jews, even the comments from the river to the sea, for those who are unclear about what this chant means, and I know it's been labeled as, quote, aspirational, what this means is from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, it will all be run by whoever decides is going to run the Palestinians. It means Israel would not exist. That's what it means. There would be no Jews they would be once again expelled from what is their homeland and always has been their homeland. So that is a call for genocide. It is anti-Semitic. It is hate speech. And it is prevalent on college campuses. All of these chants have been at Harvard, at MIT, at Penn, at Columbia, everywhere. At University of Madison, my, you know, at the University of Wisconsin, Madison, my kids send me, you know, from the river to the sea chants, you know, throwing rocks at Jewish students. And yet these presidents did not acknowledge that this is hate speech and this is an unfair or unsafe, excuse me, place for Jewish students. And they are doing nothing to protect the Jewish community from being safe there. We've all seen the videos, friends. Jewish students locked in a, a library at Columbia with protesters outside, pro-Hamas protesters banging on the windows. Is that a safe place to learn? And also, why? Those kids were not Israeli. Those, those kids were just Jewish. 
You know, that they were not Israeli. They did not make any um, policy in Israel. They did not decide to go to war. It's just because these children and college kids are Jewish. And they, the leaders of these campuses are not doing enough to keep people safe. Adam, I'll, I'll let you jump in because obviously, you know, I'm really fired up about well, this. Well, I understand where these presidents are coming from and trying to de- delicately balance First Amendment and not restricting the right of open speech and open discussion on campuses. But it's a pretty simple answer, I think, is what the congressperson was asking. I say that in context of the grand theater that is congressional hearings, though, in that we... These are... These are moments to get and to get the, the where we get these set up questions where and again I'm this one seems pretty simple to me to say yes like yes that's hate speech uh, yes that's incitement to violence and it shouldn't have a place on our campus um, but I don't know I I, I just I feel like. Anything that comes out of congressional hearings like that, I just I take with a grain of salt because I and I'm it's a difficult spot to be in. And I'm certainly again, that's an easy question to answer. And it seriously raises questions about who's leading these very high elite schools Mm -hmm. and about what they allow, what's going on there. And that one to me is easy, easy to criticize and easy to say, no. That's one where you can pretty much say no. That, that that has no place on our campus, and I don't understand why they can't do that in that moment. I mean, I guess I can understand what the uh, legally, like oh, here's what we say. This is your response to this, but and how that puts them in jeopardy if they go ahead and just say, yeah, yeah, we don't we don't tolerate that on this campus. I don't mm-hmm. I don't understand that. No, I don't. I don't either. It's the, their job. They're university presidents to have to protect students, to make it a safe place for students to learn. And I just feel like they are learning the wrong things. And when I say our lawmakers who refuse to condemn anti-Semitism, refuse to condemn hate, refuse to condemn terrorists are on the wrong side of history, so are these But can I can I go back presidents. to that though? And we're running out of time because yeah. we have Joe Gothard, but I just I wanted to go back to the and I think we're out of time here, but I mean, I'm reading an article about this resolution, but I mean, Jerry Nadler is the oldest, is the longest serving Jewish member of Congress, and he voted present for that. And this is another example to me, I think, of this is a uh, this is a bill that a Republican forwarded in order to do exactly what it's doing in that, oh, we can use this to uh, target someone as an anti-Semite later on. And, and I mean, I understand. I mean, the, the evidence for Ilhan Omar is there for all to see, uh, whether it's BDS or whatever. But I feel like that I hate extremes just black and white saying whether it's America or Israel, whatever it is, you have to be for exactly everything we say or you hate America or you hate Israel or you're an anti-Semite. When somebody looks at some of these things, like what's in this resolution, I mean, do we we think Jerry Nadler is an anti-Semite because he voted present for this? I don't know why he did that and you would have to ask him. Honestly, you would have well, to here's ask a, uh, just, here's Maybe his... he was getting pressure. Maybe he has a lot of people that are anti-Semites that he wants their vote 
you know, where he lives, I, I, you would have to ask Jerry Nadler because it seems very clear to me to condemn hate and anti-Semitism. Well, can I read his? Uh, can I just read his yes. quote here? Under this resolution, those who love Israel deep, deeply but criticize some of its policy approaches could be considered anti-Zionist. That's not what it says. That's not what that is not present. what it's. And you know what? He is twisting it. The part in number four where it says clearly and firmly state that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitic. I'll tell you what anti-Zionism is. The definition of Zionism is that Israel has a right to self-determination, means it has a right to exist. That's all it means. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with Netanyahu Mm -hmm. or you have to agree with the next prime minister or you have to agree with the policies of the settlement. I don't agree with any of those things. Is someone going to accuse me of anti-Semitism? Absolutely not. When people get clear about the definition of Zionism and stop weaponizing the word as as a bad word, the way we've weaponized the word woke in this country, then we will understand it's about education. Zionism means Israel has a right to exist. And why Jerry Nadler... An elected official doesn't know that is unbelievable to me where he's just shilling for votes and he's trying to both sides this. And honestly, it's bullcrap. I don't agree with it. He is on the wrong side of history. All right. Let's take a break. 1034. <laughs> Hard pivot. Uh, this is great. I love it. Have difficult conversations. Uh, that's what it's about. I uh, will take a break. We'll talk to uh, Superintendent Joe Goddard from St. Paul Public Schools about their effort to get kids to read. That is next. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Uh, we talked about it last week about the new um, requirements in the state of Minnesota to uh, change the way the kids learn to read. Well, they're doing that in St. Paul Public Schools as well, which is why we uh, bring into the conversation Joe Gothard, who's the superintendent of St. Paul Public Schools. SPPS Reads. St. Paul Public Schools Reads is the uh, program, and we welcome Joe into the conversation on the John Schuster Colwell Banker Hotline. Uh, tell me, Joe, what is St. Paul Public Schools doing in this regard? And I guess, how does that align with how the state of Minnesota is changing the way that uh, students learn to read? Well, good morning. It's great to, to be on with you and to talk about reading. You know, it's, it's something that obviously with school and, and our earliest learners that, that we want to ensure that all of them are, are learning to read and being successful. But it, this really starts three years ago. When we were due to receive more than $200 million in federal aid in the American Rescue Plan, uh, we said this is our time right now to make sure that we're addressing this by purchasing new curriculum, by engaging in new training, and by having the staff that are required to provide the intervention and the support that's necessary in classrooms. So I feel like we're a few years ahead in terms of the READ Act, and I'm very thankful and grateful for our state leaders that they passed that legislation. Um, but now the real work is, is at hand. We want to ensure that all of our students are reading at or above grade level. Hey, Joe, thanks again for joining us. Um, you know, we recently, Adam and I, just last week talked about, I, I know this was Minneapolis, not St. Paul, but, you know, half of the students not being able to read at grade level. I, I'd like to know 
what is the difference between what we were doing before and what we're going to do now that's going to help us improve that? Well, the, the science of reading is, in the training that most of our teachers have taken, uh, there are many different options available, but one that the state is going to uh, make available is language essentials for teachers of reading and spelling, letters. Uh, you might hear it referred to as, and in that, teaching children how to decode words. And, you know, there's a documentary we're showing uh, tomorrow night called The Right to Read, and it really talks about the history of this work. Some of you, Adam and Jordina, you might remember Sesame Street or Electric Company where, mm-hmm. you know, they were, they were using skills of sounding words out, putting letters together, making meaning. And, and those are ways that we've got away from with a lot of the more recent curriculum that are available. And the three cueing method is one method that was used in balanced literacy programs, where it was very much more about uh, looking at pictures, making meaning from what you think the word might be. Um, you know, and, and, and very little about decoding and working out the complex combination of the letters and the phonemic awareness of, of how letters sound uh, when they're put together in words. And then, of course, having the meaning. So it's a, it is a different approach when you're decoding words versus you might be guessing what a word might be and memorizing it. And I've been in our classrooms and I'm seeing students that are developing a confidence that I have seen lacking, uh, you know, in, in my career. We're talking to St. Paul Public School Superintendent Joe Gothard. Joe, can you explain how this method of teaching also helps close the uh, the achievement gap with students of color and maybe students who um, speak a different language than English? Yeah, and, and, and again, that's a huge part of our um, school population. You know, a third of our students are identify as English language learners, and, you know, we are a, a global uh, school community, so it's it's very important to us. And, um, and so we're ad- adapting this. And, you know, I've been in some of our, our schools and, and know that our staff, whether it's a dual language immersion school or that we have children that are English learners, um, you know, they're learning these same skills. I mean, in fact, it's more important of, of learning how these these words and, and this alphabet come together to, sh- to form words, how they sound, um, how they can look for uh, those combinations and other words and build their vocabulary and their comprehension through that. Um, so it's, it's, it's something that, again, we're doing now. Remember, when we talk about the earliest learners, we're talking about learning to read. As students progress and get older, we're talking about reading to learn. So that foundation mm-hmm. is so important because we expect students in fourth, fifth, into secondary school to really access information to build comprehension and meaning and extension. But if there's not the foundation of learning to read, it's very hard, you know, to pull out that technical information from a biology textbook that I taught from, for example. So, Joe, is this change going to be now in all schools? Because you mentioned immersion and my own three children are products of immersion schools. They went to Spanish immersion and um, they we've had I, I can only say great things about immersion schools. They are public schools. You know, they're offered uh, by the state of Minnesota, which is fantastic. And we jumped on that. But yet, I may, I guess maybe I didn't focus that much on how they learned because they were learning to read in Spanish, you know, um, and we speak English in the home. So will this be adopted on all levels? And then will the immersion schools have to change their way of teaching? Was it ever different? No, and that's a great question. And I think anytime you're introducing a new curriculum, uh, you know, a big change, especially to someone who has an established belief or success in the way that they were doing things, uh, you know, it's always challenging. What materials do I have? What time do I have to learn it? 
Uh, but Jordina, I, I look at it this way. My philosophy is see all, serve all. And if this is our requirement and this is what our district has adopted as a strategy, it really is for all students. And that means that whether a child has, um, you know, accommodations uh, through their individual education plan, special education, then we're going to find a way to modify and adapt our curriculum to to ensure that we are seeing our students and serving them in the way that they deserve to be. Modifying and adapting that curriculum uh, with the teachers you currently have on staff. Joe, can you tell me about when you hi- your district hires teachers who are like fresh out of college or fresh out of, fresh out of like, graduate school? Uh, the the I, I'm sure it's different, but the colleges and universities now, how are they teaching our future teachers to teach this subject? You know, one of my closer colleagues is uh, Dr. Amy Smith, who's the interim dean of the School of Education at the University of St. Thomas. And, you know, we've talked about this. And I think that many um, colleges have seen this as a, a real need to, to switch the way that we're that they're uh, teaching and training their teachers to, to learn how to teach reading. So I don't think it's as foreign to uh, St. Thomas as uh, perhaps it could be to some other schools. But, but look, we've got to do a great job of identifying teachers who are ready to do a great job in our classrooms. I can't put it all on our higher ed partners. Uh, we have to also build internal capacity uh, to make sure that not only do we train teachers who need it, but we have ongoing support for them as well as they grow. Are you are you having an issue getting teachers? We know that, you know, there's lots of lapses in the workforce. Are people still applying to be teachers? Do they want to do this job? Are you getting good quality candidates? Um, yes to every question you just asked. I mean, it, it, it's still uh, really challenging. We've hired well over 1,000, 1,500 this summer um, staff to us, so not all teachers, but it remains a challenge. And, you know, I'm spending time more and more in classrooms right now, and I can see and sense and feel uh, the real challenges that, that staff are having. Um, you know, we, although we had an incredible support from the state government in terms of the legislative session, um, mm-hmm. You know, there are 20 years of lagging funding that I can see and sense when I'm in our schools. So it's not going to get done in one year. We're not going to normalize what it means uh, to be an adequate and effective educational system um, until there's many years of sustained funding where we can build the capacity of our mm-hmm. staff and we can provide consistency to our students and families. Dr. Joe Gothard, superintendent of St. Paul Public Schools. Again, The Right to Read will be uh, airing at Humboldt High School tomorrow night, uh, 5.30 to 8, and then uh, next Tuesday, the December 12th, at Central High School during the same time. Dr. Gothard wanted to also uh, mention this Saturday you're doing its uh, school choice fair. What is that, and uh, where is that happening? Well, I, I get asked this all the time because uh, even in my neighborhood or if I'm hung about in the community, Hey, Joe, I've got a kindergarten. What uh, what school options are there for them? And mm-hmm. honestly, it is a wide variety, uh, more than 20 um, options in terms of all the available programs that we have to offer in St. Paul Public Schools. I think people are absolutely blown away and amazed when they realize what the educational options are in our St. Paul Public Schools district. So come on out to the River Center. We are there all day. It's one day that the entire district is represented. And it's, for me, it's a it's, it's like a big reunion. It's a lot of fun to interact with our community and welcome um, new or curious families that, that may want to enroll their children in our school district. Uh, so I really look forward to it and invite the entire community uh, to come and check it out. I love that you're doing that because, honestly, I think people don't realize all of the options. You think, oh, there's private school, but you got to pay for that. Yet, 
there are, you know, state run or city run schools that that are available that are alternative choices. And I know so many kids maybe that started out in like their, you know, district school or their their city school and then made an alternate choice and are just killing it and thriving in an alternate choice. So thank you for doing that. Um, Before we let you go, Doc, I wanted to know if if any of us can watch the movie, The Right to Read, if we don't make it to that event. Like, is there a link or can we see it? I'm so glad you asked this question. I think everybody needs to watch it. Um, but unfortunately right now it is a, it's a paid or it's a proprietor's um, viewing that we have. So we have a license to show it for these showings, but I don't have a way to make it accessible at this point. Um, but I have to tell you, have to community, uh, anyone listening, please come and check it out. I think you would mm-hmm. be um, absolutely um angered and heartwarmed and i think you'll have a range of emotions when you see exactly uh, what the science of reading can mean for our future democracy and our society dr joe gothard uh, superintendent st paul public schools thank you for the time today and we'll uh, keep checking in as uh, as the school year progresses and these changes are made appreciate it. it yeah thank you it was great to catch up today have a great day thank you sir dr joe gothard uh it is a ten forty. Yeah, we need to be talking about this more we Mm -hmm. need to be talking about school options more we need to be talking about doing things differently because i think that we can do better in education and i i believe we all think that back after this on cco 1054 that is your lindis uh, construction time check time to get 75 percent off installation labor on infinity for marvin windows yesterday we uh, brought up the fact that uh, 37 percent of all violent crimes in the united states are actually solved and how abysmal that is and what the possible causes uh, of that are. And somebody reached out to you, somebody you know well, from your work on that uh, Star Tribune series. And I thought this is going to be a great way to continue this conversation. Yeah, Brooke Morath uh, was uh, one of the rape victims that we featured in Denied Justice, the Star Tribune series and our ensuing podcast. And um, she listens to the show, and I'm grateful. She's a wonderful young woman. Her rapist was not apprehended until years and years because of um, just incompetence in, during the investigation. And, um, you know, thank God she has received some kind of justice. But she was listening, and she said, you know, Jor, Yes, there are problems with the justice system, but she said since denied justice, since the Star Tribune investigation of sexual violence and how it's um, treated, you know, and prosecuted here in Minnesota, she said there have been positive changes and she has been involved in those positive changes. And she reached out to me and we were uh, texting about some of them yesterday and just getting an update on her. And I said, Brooke, you got to come on the show. You got to come on the show and talk to us as, you know, a, a, a rape victim, a survivor um, and a thriver now. Thank God. Um, let's talk about the good that is happening in the Justice Department, in the police department, in within advocacy. And she says, yep, I'll do it. So she's going to be joining us in just a few minutes uh, at about 11.05 to talk with us about the positives, because law enforcement is hard, Adam. Yes, and it is. And, and, and we much, didn't much harder now with fewer people doing yeah, it too. Exactly. It's it's harder now with the lack of funds and the three hundred officers that resigned from Minneapolis Police Department. So it is, but um she, as a person who has been, you know, beaten down by the system, was offering positivity. And I thought 
we do need to amplify that. So she's going to be joining us, and we'll uh, talk about that in the next hour. Lots coming up next hour as well. We've got our random review. The show is Fisk on Netflix. Very interesting uh, comedy that we will uh, give our thoughts about as well. That'll come up uh, in the next hour. Um, not Looking one person, not one person texting in ideas that are the perfect regifting gifts. Oh, oh, well, you know we didn't give it enough time. Six five one four six one nine two two six. Yeah, we'll do it, but we'll get some ideas today. What are the ideal yeah. things to regift? Six five one four six one nine two two six. Much coming up after this. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 